0: Welcome back to the Fueled and Well podcast. Today, I'm chatting with registered dietitian, Heather Lasco. She is the owner of the private practice, Confidently Nourished, a place for inclusive and compassionate nutrition care for eating disorder recovery, and just weight neutral nutrition services in general. I loved this conversation with Heather. We touched on so many important topics, everything from reframing negative body image to how you approach eating in eating disorder or disordered eating recovery, when to incorporate intuitive eating and so much more. I seriously adore the way that Heather phrases certain concepts. She makes all of this info so approachable and tangible and I can't wait for you to learn from her today. Let's get started. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we always kind of start with the same thing. I would love for you to just take a minute to tell our listeners how you got into private practice and, you know, maybe your path to becoming a dietitian a little bit. Just give Mm -hmm. us an overview and then we'll dive in. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I'm like, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, (laughs) So I have been in private practice for
1: about five years, mainly like four of that being myself. And now we have a team of four other dietitians. We specialize in working with eating disorders and disordered eating. I originally started my practice in Atlanta, Georgia. It was in person Prior to the pandemic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then we went for fully virtual. And so now I'm
0: back in my hometown in Pennsylvania. Oh, how cool. So, I mean, I I feel like I've talked about this with so many different people. Mm -hmm. So many difficult parts of COVID. But then also these really, like, beautiful little opportunities to do something differently. So even to just be able to say, I want to go back to my hometown. Or it makes sense to go back to my hometown. And my job can Mm -hmm. come with me. That's so cool. I know it's so like
1: awesome. And I love spending time with my grandparents. They're like my grandfather's 90 years old. So being able to like come back, have family dinners with them and everything
0: is just like the best. Oh, that's so, so cool. My family all is up in the Northeast still, like Connecticut, Massachusetts, all that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it is, it's funny, just like those little pieces that you miss, like the, you know, being able to just drop by for dinner kind of thing, Mm -hmm. like you can't do that when you're a plane right away, like Atlanta. Yeah. (laughs) So that's so, so cool. Okay. So y'all specialize in disordered eating and eating disorders. And then you added on a few other dietitians recently, right? Yes. I recently added someone on a couple months ago as our lead dietitian.
1: She takes on more severe cases or more like complicated cases and she's also helping out then our other dietitians, kind of getting them up to
0: snuff and everything with their cases. That's awesome. I think a lot of people too don't realize how much supervision and like mentorship and all of that goes into our field, but especially when working with mm-hmm. eating disorders because it can just be so complex. So mm-hmm. like having a team approach and other people to help you figure it out is so important. That's so Why you have someone. Yeah. Um, what got you into the field of nutrition in the first place?
1: Yeah, so it was probably my eating disorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like many other dietitians that I know <laughs> or di- their disordered eating that like I had I never like really thought about nutrition. I graduated high school and all of a sudden I decided for the first time in my life I wanted to intentionally lose weight. And it all went downhill from there. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think of it now as like a blessing because when I'm working with clients, I kind of have that like insight. Like obviously everyone's journey is different, but like sometimes I feel like if someone doesn't know or have that experience, it can be hard to relate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because eating disorders are so like, entrenched and they get Mm -hmm. so like granular and take over Mm -hmm. all these different parts of your life that if you haven't had somewhat of that experience before and then you're Mm -hmm. hearing it from a client, it can just be hard to connect, I'm sure. for Yeah, definitely. And so like it was probably
1: my obsession with food that landed me in nutrition and dietetics. (laughs) I moved specifically to Georgia to study nutrition and dietetics. Did all of that, I like to joke, but it's not joking, like thrived in my eating disorder throughout my entire undergrad experience. And mm-hmm. it was also like highly kind of promoted in my program as well, too, because I went to more of a chiropractic college that was like very holistic and mm-hmm. all of that. So that was like another added layer
0: <laughs> on top of things that is such an, like, I haven't heard a lot of people, you know, at a program that's more holistic, but you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. I have taken on interns before who are in programs that are more like holistic wellness driven. And Mm -hmm. I genuinely keep an eye on them probably more than I should, because I'm like, I know where my brain was at at this Mm -hmm. age. And the reason why I got into this profession was so that I could perfect food. And like, it wasn't good for me to be learning as much of it as I was. And (laughs) that layer is another like step into that Mm -hmm. clean aspect and like even the other behaviors, not just food. So I'm glad that you were able to come out the other side and now have really good experience to help. Which like, it's among all things, the thing
1: that kind of made it click for me, I was scrolling on Instagram like Uh in my last year of undergrad and I came across intuitive eating and I never had heard about it ever before. (laughs) Like not even a word. (laughs) And I'm like, what is this? And I fell down the biggest rabbit hole and eventually ended up like having to get more severe help because I'm like, okay, well – I can't just start intuitively eating, <laughs> which a lot of people think is possible. Maybe for someone not severe, it is possible, but it is very hard to just like drop years of those behaviors and pick up intuitive eating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you at least had the like experience and the context to notice, okay, I can't just go right into this approach head first even if it's really interesting or appealing to me. Um, I know a lot of times we have clients that come to us and they are looking to jump straight into like that food Mm -hmm. freedom thing, right? They're like, it looks so nice Mm -hmm. and so easy and so fun. And I want that. And we're like, hey, you will absolutely get there. But Mm -hmm. that can't be step one. So I would love. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a very common experience. So I would love if you could take a little bit of time to just break down for our listener If they've got pretty significant disordered eating or a diagnosed eating disorder, why is intuitive eating or kind of that, you know, food freedom approach that we are seeing a lot more of, thankfully now, why is that not the first step in recovery?
1: Yes, definitely. So, so many different things come up (laughs) for me, (laughs) but one of the main ones is that like you might not be able to have consistent or actual hunger and fullness cues, right? So, since you have been like kind of disconnected to those things for so long, it might be hard to listen to your body. Maybe your body is not telling you to eat, but like we know that you need to eat. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, typically, when you are coming from a more like disordered background, you might have to start with like more of a structured plan of like timing and thinking of like nutrition adequacy first. Um, mechanical eating, I know, is like a really big thing during this process, too, which we can talk about a little more. But that is usually the first step it, before we even get to the fun parts of intuitive eating.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that first one you have mentioned, too, just that hunger and fullness piece, right? If you've spent so long ignoring your hunger cues or overriding maybe your fullness cues, it's just mm-hmm it's not possible to just say, okay, I'm starting intuitive eating today and I am going to break out the hunger and fullness scale that's in the book mm-hmm. and I'm going to follow it. Yeah. You just don't have the the muscle for it yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it can also
1: be an interesting thing because if you're coming from like a dieting or eating disorder background, some people want to use hunger and fullness as a new set of rules to hold on to, right? Of like, oh, okay, so I can only eat when hungry. I must stop at this level of fullness and that can become yeah. more
0: control around food. Absolutely. And I'm glad you highlighted that because it's so common, right? The mm-hmm. The physical piece of hunger and fullness not quite working for you yet, but then also the mental piece of you might lean on it in the wrong way um, yeah. is really problematic too. How do you help clients? So obviously on the physical side, right, there's mm-hmm. you know kind of scheduled eating and things like that, which we'll get to. But what about on that mental side? If you have a client Mm -hmm. that comes to you and they really are focused on, I'm supposed to listen to my body. I want to eat when I'm hungry and stop when Mm -hmm. I'm full. And they're almost like creating another diet out of this approach. How do you help walk them through that?
1: I like to back up sometimes and I'll be like, okay, like, where is this coming from? And like, why do we feel still the need to control food right or have like these like rigid guidelines because if we want food freedom eventually like we don't want to come at it at a place of like perfection which a lot of people can be perfectionists in recovery too if they've yeah. been perfectionist in other parts of their life and sometimes I talk about using like their wise mind or recovery mind versus their ed voice So like just starting to have awareness of what does that Ed void sound like if Ed is like skip this meal and if you don't skip this meal, you're going to gain weight or something like that. What logically is maybe something more neutral, like maybe it's not a good idea to skip this meal. Skipping this meal hasn't done me like good in the past and what can I do instead and so, trying to, it almost becomes mechanical with the thought process too. Mm-hmm. But they like to say, like in the research and everything, that like we're creating new neural pathways. So, as you are practicing these things, the old comfortable behaviors eventually will become these new behaviors that you've been practicing.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that new neural pathway piece too, because mm-hmm. I feel like. That's a conversation I have with clients so, so often, but it's not something that I always see people like necessarily talking about online, right? Is Mm -hmm. this awareness of we have to pave like new pathways Mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen overnight, Mm -hmm. just like your eating disorder doesn't develop overnight, right? I think a lot of us can identify a moment that was like a tipping point perhaps, Mm -hmm. And so we think it came on all at once, but it really didn't. Like we were building up all of these little rules or these little ways to control our body or food over time. And then maybe there's just kind of like a culminating event that put us like all in, you know? And so I think sometimes in recovery, people expect the same thing to happen of as Mm -hmm. soon as I start these reframes, as soon as I start to use, you know, like this opposite action or this wise voice, like- I'm good, right? This is going to get easier. And it doesn't initially, right? Yeah,
1: sometimes it can get harder, right? Because doing something new is scary and uncomfortable. And your brain's like, wait, what? Like we've been used to doing this for so long. Now you're going to do this. So we have to do those steps and keep pushing through when it is hard, but also having like support of a treatment team, family, etc., for those tough moments.
0: Yeah, exactly. It takes practice and it takes a lot of people around you who have been through it before and can say, this mm-hmm. is normal. This takes time. Here's another way to approach it. Like it's not, it's not as straightforward as we want it to be, especially if we're coming from that perfectionist type of place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it also makes me think like
1: to another reason why intuitive eating isn't appropriate right out of the gun, because you might not be meeting your needs, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about food constantly, most likely that means that you are in a state of deprivation. (laughs) And so in order, I like to tell my clients, like, you know, how often are we thinking about food in a day? Like one of my first sessions, I'll ask them, like, if you were to say how much you're thinking about food now, and where would you like to get to? What would seem more manageable, And in order to do that, we have to start re-nourishing the body and the brain.
0: Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about why that is? That if we're, Mm -hmm. you know, depriving our body in some way or another, we are seeing an uptick in those food thoughts? Mm -hmm. So it is
1: pretty natural, right? It's like a biological response that like, if we're not getting enough, then it's almost like we become obsessed around food and think about food even more because the body is like, oh, maybe you'll actually eat that, <laughs> but it doesn't always work like that, right? And so we're constantly thinking about food and then we're like, why am I constantly thinking about food? Because I'm not getting enough and my body is signaling that as a signal in itself. Sometimes I tell people like, when you start thinking about food, that usually means you're getting hungry, <laughs>
0: Yeah. It can be an early sign of hunger, right? If you mm-hmm. know, you notice those food thoughts kind of upticking and then maybe 30 minutes or an hour from then you're like actually noticing your stomach growling. It's like, oh yeah, that probably was related.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that yeah. can be like super helpful to know that even if we're not having those cues and everything, like our body and our brain, like we need to have a certain amount of nutrients for our bodily functions to happen normally and as they should versus like otherwise certain parts of the body start shutting down right you might get like brain fog if it's a more severe case women can lose their menstrual cycle things like that even more severe you can lose muscle in your heart and have complications with that where you would need even a higher level of care
0: So I know I'm kind of like taking us off track a little bit, but Mm -hmm. you mentioned mechanical eating early on in one of those first questions we were discussing. And I want to make sure we actually spend a little time on it just Mm -hmm. because it's a term that I don't think everyone's probably heard. So can you talk a little bit more about define mechanical eating Mm -hmm. and then maybe like how or why we would be leaning on that instead of something like natural hunger cues?
1: Yeah. So mechanical eating is used in early recovery. To help re nourish the client, like their brain and their body, and help re establish hunger and fullness cues eventually that may not be accurate or present, right? You might have some cues, but maybe they're not like fully there. Or sometimes we have clients that they get early fullness or something like that, but their body actually still needs more. So it involves like a pattern of eating to make meals more regular on a timely basis and adequacy as well so we're focusing on
0: timing and the nuts
1: as in like portion wise of filling your plate
0: mm-hmm. yeah so it's a little bit more um i mean mechanical is the perfect word for it right like they're mm-hmm. trying to think of a synonym that works but but it is it's more just consistency even in the absence of mm-hmm. a perceived hunger cue correct yeah mm-hmm. so okay. consistency like
1: Even though, and some people like because of medication or Mm -hmm. things like that, they might not have accurate hunger cues either. So some people have to lean on mechanical eating during those periods of time or when they're stressed or super anxious, things like that. So it's basically like a way to make sure you're getting what your body needs in the absence of those normal cues
0: yeah i'm glad that you mentioned those other applications for it too because that's something that a lot of times when i am working with someone who's earlier in their recovery i explain to them like this isn't just a skill to get you further into your recovery this is also something you'll probably lean on at some other point right i'm three weeks postpartum did i forget to eat lunch the first three days i was home from the hospital yeah, because I was stressed and I was overstimulated and I had more things on the brain than I ever have had before. And mm-hmm. after like the third day, it clicked like, OK, I've got to reset and I've got to be intentional about this. Even if I'm not noticing my body asking for food in my mm-hmm. logical brain, I know that missing this meal doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just it'll it'll come up at other times. This
1: definitely can come up when people go on vacation and things like that, like. Just normal, everyday things can even just sometimes
0: alter our eating patterns and alter our ability to listen in. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned those other applications too, because it is not just for early recovery, although that is a Mm -hmm. time where kind of across the board, that's something we're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I would love to shift away from the food side a little bit because Uh I know that, while mechanical eating sounds fantastic and super helpful, and while, you know, getting people to that intuitive eating place, like eventually is a really cool end goal, I notice this a lot in my work with clients, and I'm sure you do too, that mm-hmm. the body image piece or the fear of weight gain or body change piece tends mm-hmm. to trip us up in actually implementing these really supportive behaviors. Do you find yep. that to be true too? Definitely. Um, Even yeah. especially working. in
1: so I also worked in higher levels of care at a pediatric hospital for eating disorders. And that was a main big thing is like body changes, fear of body changes, fear of weight gain, being a big barrier to being able to implement the mechanical eating and just eating in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to talk a little bit about then how we move through that. And I feel like at least from what I've seen, there's kind of two different phases. So one, there's Mm -hmm. the very initial phase of we haven't really even changed food yet because getting over that hurdle of if I start to eat lunch, whereas I've been skipping lunch, I might gain weight and that's a fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's that first phase where it's like we haven't even gotten the wheels turning yet because we're so nervous. And then Mm -hmm. there's the second piece where once we do start to nourish our bodies appropriately, if we are suppressing our weight with this disordered eating, right, then we have to navigate body change too. Mm -hmm. So I would love if you could talk through kind of both facets because they're a little different, right? Like. How do we, how do we work through that initial piece of, I don't want to change what I'm doing, even though I know it's probably going to be supportive for my body because I'm afraid my body might change.
1: Yeah. And that can be very hard, right? If you've been doing something, you've been like in your eating disorder and now we're going to switch things up. The body might have to start changing. That can be really difficult to come to terms with. So I always say like one part is to start taking those thoughts in kind of like how we were already before, like having awareness around them, start taking them and even just having awareness, like what are those ad thoughts? What are the negative body image thoughts that I'm having? How can I start working to make that more neutral? We can also start wearing comfortable, loose clothing avoid body checking which is a big
0: one yeah <laughs> um, can, can you break that down for us what is that yeah so
1: body checking is can be anything from every time you walk past a mirror you're looking in the mirror judging your body or you're intentionally going to your mirror and like looking at different body parts picking them apart etc it can also be like constantly pulling on clothes or like pinching body fat etc
0: yeah Just different ways essentially to keep tabs on your body throughout the day because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I'm, you know, better about body image because I don't weigh myself anymore, which is a huge Mm -hmm. victory. But then there's also all these other behaviors that might feel a little bit more under the radar because Mm -hmm. it's not something that has been, like, addressed as often, right, when we talk about body image. so But they're so real. They keep us so, so stuck. Mm -hmm. That
1: was my other thing was, like, avoid weighing yourself. That is usually a huge one to get over. So And maybe that looks like, okay, if someone's doing it every day, maybe we start minimizing it. Can we put it to four times a week? How can we get it to two times a week? What about once? And then zero and kind of go from there. So it doesn't have to be like this abrupt change.
0: Yeah. I love that you highlighted that too, because depending on, you know, everybody's personality is different. Everyone's brain works a little differently. There are some people who I feel like do really well with the, I have decided today is the day I stop weighing and I have thrown it out and that feels so good to me and I'm done. Mm-hmm. But not everyone feels like they can do that or that they want to do that. And I think just focusing on reducing how often you check in on your body can make mm-hmm. such a big difference. I notice like clients body image changing so quickly when they can get it from i start every day with weighing myself to now i'm only doing it twice a week and yeah. then once you start to see oh, okay i'm being a little bit more kind to my body i'm thinking about my body less on these mm-hmm. twice a week weighing schedule it makes it so much easier to kind of fully let go of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely.
1: That's what I see with clients as well. And like you said, sometimes I call them like the cold turkey clients where they like Mm -hmm. thrive, just cutting a behavior off and that's totally fine. But other people need a little bit
0: more of a titration and that's normal too. Yeah. Yeah. There's no one right way to get yourself there or to start Mm -hmm. moving through it. So, yeah. I also see during
1: that time too, distraction, Sometimes I feel like people are like, we shouldn't be distracted, but I do feel like there are some times where distraction can be good and it can be a helpful coping mechanism during the point, like say if you're having a really bad body image day and you're having really strong urges to engage in an eating disorder behavior because of that, if we can distract you from that or like even urge surf you away from that that can be more helpful in the long run.
0: Yeah. Can you can you talk about that term urge surf? I have heard it. I yeah. don't use it because I feel like I've never dug yeah. into it well enough. And I would yeah. love to just highlight that
1: for listeners. Yeah. So I actually became familiar with the term in my own alcoholism recovery. And so basically urge surfing is say we want to engage in some kind of behavior, such as say someone's going to purge. And we're going to be like, okay, I'm going to wait 20 minutes. Usually that urge becomes less at that point. And you can try to put a distraction piece in there to see, okay, can I just get somewhere else? Can I go outside for a 20 minute, like walk or 20 minutes sitting in a chair watching the sunset or (laughs) something like, what can I do to just prolong this behavior and usually the urge isn't as intense as it was initially.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of like a timing piece of, okay, if I can hold off and like give myself a little bit of time and see if this urge starts to dissipate, then I've got a better mm. chance, hopefully, of moving through it without acting on it than if I just yeah. give in and respond right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. And for some people, the way it's called urge surfing is because if we think of like waves, Right. so there might be like a really big wave yeah (laughs) maybe after that like you know so you still have a little bit of an urge so let's just urge surf for a little longer and get like another 20 minutes and like those minutes of increments like turn into hours days
0: weeks etc right that's really cool and I love yeah I love the image of it It comes in waves and so if you can picture yourself kind of Let's just write out this wave, see how long this wave lasts before we do Mm -hmm. something. And then you can kind of keep essentially prolonging it. And
1: then when we think of body image too, like we are not always at the same point in body image throughout the day, right? Like you could wake up and feel great or neutral and then something happens and you're back down to low, but then two hours you feel okay. (laughs) And so it's usually not like a consistent period of twenty four seven low extreme body image.
0: Right. Yeah. So this may not be, this isn't something that we necessarily chatted about ahead of time to talk Mm -hmm. through, but I'm thinking about it now just because of the types of women that I tend to work with. And I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts. So I work with a lot of really active women and women who don't have their cycles, particularly because of food or eating or both, or sorry, food or exercise or both. And one thing that I see really drive body image in my group of clients is Mm -hmm. perceived bloating. And I say perceived Mm -hmm. because, like, it is such a subjective (laughs) Mm -hmm. test, exactly. (laughs) How do you help clients kind of navigate that particular trigger for negative body image?
1: Yes. So first starting to, like, accept that, like, why bloating happens and, you know, our body is meant to change, right? It never is meant to just look exactly the same 24-7. There's so many different factors like going in and out and hormones and water and all of that that our body is never going to look 100% the same. So kind of like coming to terms with that. And then also like I try to talk about bellies like learning to accept our belly and be kind to our belly of different ways that it can look like you know today if I'm perceived like a little more bloated like that's fine I don't have to do anything I just need to like maybe speak more kindly to myself that day or maybe I need to wear more comfortable clothing if tighter clothing are
0: triggering etc yeah, I think that piece too of recognizing that it ebbs and flows and that mm-hmm. feeling bloated and and even like other digestive, you know, complications and whatnot are just part of being a person yeah. who digests food. It doesn't always mean you've eaten too much or you've done something wrong. Yeah. It just means that's how my body's responding today. And the primary thing I think you can do to move through it is let's make sure one, I'm comfortable, right? Mm-hmm we're bloated, then maybe that pair of leggings that's already like a little bit too tight isn't going to work. It's going to work. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to hurt. It's going to call more attention to our body. It's going to keep our mind there. And then also, yeah, how can I kind of implement that compassion? Yeah. Another thing too, I always
1: like to normalize bloating in eating disorder recovery, that bloating is a part of recovery. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. Especially if you've had a very long period of of restriction that your gastric motility has changed. So if now all of a sudden we're building up meals and we're eating more, it's going to take a little time for our body to like catch up with that. And so it might hurt. You might have bloating or early fullness, but that is going to eventually go away with more consistency of eating.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you called that out. I I talk to clients sometimes about, it's kind of a silly analogy, but if you grew up in a small town and then it becomes Mm -hmm. like a not so small town anymore, and that main road has to go from one lane each way to three or four, (laughs) right? The capacity of our digestion has to catch back up. And in Mm -hmm. order to do that, we need like almost the supply and demand of more food to engage our digestive enzymes and get things moving again. So Mm -hmm. it sucks, but the only way to get regular gastric motility and to get to a place where you're, you know, having some bloat here and there, but it's not your everyday experience is Mm -hmm. to eat more. And that's so scary and so hard and can be uncomfortable But Mm -hmm. you you can't restrict your way past that problem.
1: Yeah. it's Otherwise, it'll get worse, right? Yes. Or it'll keep coming back. So the only way to like long-term nip it in the butt is to realize I have to consistently give my body what it needs um, in order for these symptoms to go away. And that can be really hard.
0: Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's physically so uncomfortable and mentally, I feel like it's such a block for people and there's no oh, just take a probiotic and that'll fix it. Like we yes. like we can support our body with some of those types of things, but like in the end of you have to just eat more to get through it, which is so hard. Yeah. yeah. It's then, you know, you don't have to deal with
1: that unless like you have some other kind of gastrointestinal issues going on, obviously, okay. but you'll be able to see what was my eating disorder, GI issues related to, and what is just like my body when it's, normally fed and nourished what are those issues you'll be able to tell the difference
0: yeah i find a lot of times people who have had pretty like prolonged eating disorders really want to address that gi stuff and they want to go see you know like a gastroenterologist and like hey that's yeah. lovely but also there's so much that your eating disorder is going to mask initially and as you get yeah. further into recovery we can it almost like it helps us separate out right what was just because of restriction And Mm -hmm. what now is, like you said, kind of what your body physiologically does on its own that we need Mm -hmm. to address. But if you, if you try to start with that stuff too early, you're just chasing your tail because Mm -hmm. it's too like murky.
1: Yeah. And sometimes with that, like when we're having that gastrointestinal like pain after a meal and like that perceived bloating and everything, I recommend like laying down, like giving yourself a little bit of gentle time, like watching a TV show or something that you really like, putting a
0: warm compress or something just to make yourself a little more comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of supporting yourself in that moment so that you can get through it and not Mm -hmm. kind of act on it in the sense of, you know, I need to purge or this means I ate too much. I'm not going to eat again tomorrow at this Mm -hmm. time. Like Instead of jumping to those disordered behaviors that we know won't help long term, what can you do right now? to be a little more comfortable and Mm -hmm. also recognize like this isn't going to be your norm forever.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you be comfortable giving us some examples maybe of how somebody can reframe negative Mm -hmm. thoughts either about their body or about, you know, their worthiness to recover? I mean, whatever you kind of see as, you know, trends, but Mm -hmm. I would love for people to just hear a couple examples of how we can reframe some of these disordered or harmful thoughts. Yeah. I know one big one that I always hear is
1: I'm never going to stop gaining weight.
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Usually an early on one where the fear of the weight gain is never going to stop. And so the way to like redirect that first, we know that's not possible, (laughs) right? But like your body, if you aren't engaging in behaviors anymore and you're nourishing yourself, your body will eventually settle to a range, never just like one exact point. But I also say like redirecting that as to, I'm learning to give my body what it needs. And that means it might change. It's normal for bodies to change, especially during this healing process. And that can be like, you can have on the left side of the sheet of paper, your thought that like is coming up constantly on the right side, like that reframe.
0: I love that. Are there any others that you see a lot? Because that, I mean, you're right. That's probably the number one, Mm -hmm. right? Another one I'm thinking of is
1: why am I eating so much more than everybody else? (laughs)
0: Yes, let's (laughs) talk about that.
1: Yeah. And there's so many reasons, right? You can redirect that of I'm in eating disorder recovery right now. So my needs are different. The people around me, I don't know what else they ate throughout the entire day. So like that might be different as well. Also, knowing like maybe how other people are eating isn't like what they should be eating for them, right? Maybe they're not eating. Enough, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve to give your body what it needs. Yes.
0: I've, I've had so many conversations with clients where after really reflecting on it, they realize even the people that they live with, they don't know everything that person eats in a day. They might think not they do, but if they truly break it down, they're like, well, no, I don't actually sit and eat breakfast with them. And I know that they like, you know, grab a snack between lunch and dinner, but I'm not always there to witness that. And like Mm -hmm. even the people that you're closest to, you don't see everything they eat. And even if you did, everyone's needs are different. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a really, really hard thing to always have your eyes drifting to other people's plates. It's never going to give you an accurate sense of guidance of what you should be doing.
1: Yeah. And you don't have any idea what their relationship with food is like either. And that's another big thing that can be influencing. So I always say like, you know, eyes on your own plate, same, (laughs) focus on what your body specifically needs, especially if sometimes in recovery, you do have increased needs in order to say if you're doing weight restoration or something like that, you have different goals at that point as other people that you're
0: around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to just finish with if somebody is a bit further in to recovery, what might be some, you know, like indicators for them that they are ready to move a little bit more into that intuitive eating space? Because yeah. we get so many questions about that. Like, when can I start doing some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. So I'd love and, to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that the hunger fullness piece, like when someone starts noticing cues, a little bit that we can start having some like non-judgmental awareness around them and just noticing what's going on like we're not even changing anything <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. we're just being like okay like how is my body feeling how's my body responding having curiosity and then maybe we can start working on hunger and fullness I also think other great segues are looking at the other principles of intuitive eating. I think people only think that hunger and fullness food is the only yeah. principle of intuitive eating. And it's like, how can we make sure we're rejecting diet culture? Have you made peace with all foods yet, right? So like if someone had a list of fear foods, have we addressed all of those fear foods and everything? Because if we haven't, then you might not be able to eat quote unquote intuitively. Maybe even practicing some like eventually moving gentle movement into there and everything. Some of those things too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think depending on the person, right, there's different places that you might kind of start to acquaint yourself Mm -hmm. with intuitive eating that make more sense than others. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, just kind of going at it slowly and seeing how it feels. And especially if you have support, like leaning on those people too, just because It can be hard after years and years and years of restriction and food rules and controlling your body to jump into Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I know like so many of our listeners are really interested (laughs) in that approach. And I totally get why as someone who, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it rocks. Like, it's so nice to not (laughs) stress about things and to be able to go with the flow and still nourish your body. But it takes a while to get there.
1: Yeah. I also like to think of like recovery in three phases of like nutrition, rehabilitation So like getting our adequacy and variety and all of those things. Then like the second phase is kind of like the experiential phase where we might start to like dabble into some of the intuitive eating stuff or some of the other principles. And then the third phase is like kind of getting into more of the intuitive eating, but like you can't get to intuitive eating without going through nutrition rehab and giving your body what it needs. If you're still in a restrictive mind state, either like emotionally, mentally, or physically, we're not going to be able to get to intuitive eating.
0: Yeah. I love that visual too of the three kind of different like phases because mm-hmm. it can be really hard to want to skip to that next phase. But kind of what you were talking about before with the digestive issues, like the only way to the next phase is through the one you're in now. Mm -hmm. And as frustrating as that is, just being aware even that that's going to be part of the process can be really Mm -hmm. helpful, I think, because I don't think everybody knows what to expect really when Mm -hmm. they finally decide to confront their eating disorder or these disordered habits that they have. So yeah, it's it's got phases. There's a progression to it. You can't really skip steps. Um, Mm -hmm. but as you get into those later phases, it does, I feel like get a lot more fluid, which is really cool to see.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like, just like with mechanical eating, like everything might feel mechanical in the beginning and then it eventually gets to like intuitive or not even just intuitive eating, like intuitive living for
0: some people as well. Once they get to that point. Yes, absolutely. I think, I don't know if you see this, but I feel like as I get clients who are moving more into being able to eat intuitively, being Mm -hmm. able to reincorporate movement in a way that's a little bit more, you know, flexible and based Mm -hmm. on what they like compared to before, I feel like it percolates into other habits, right? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it just, once you kind of work on your relationship,
1: with food and exercise in your body, it starts to like just have this more positive effect in other aspects of life too. Yeah.
0: I think I'm curious as you what you think. I feel like it's probably because one, it frees up a lot of your mental and emotional that bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a shift in kind of your behavioral style to go from mm-hmm. super controlling and rigid and regimented to listening to your body, being flexible, like ebbing and flowing with your needs. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's just a shift in like how you operate too. Do you agree? Yeah,
1: definitely. I don't know if you've ever heard of like RODBT where they talk about under controlled and over controlled.
0: And like
1: when you're going through recovery, it's almost like you're trying to get to the middle of that, like of trying to have like, I'm not a big, like fan of the word balance sometimes but like i think Mm -hmm. that this kind of shows that you know when you have a happy medium of both of those then you can kind of like live life
0: more fully yeah oh i love that well i feel like that's a really good place probably to to end because that is such a summation of all of what we do right is we don't want to white knuckle and over control everything. We also don't wanna to feel totally out of control or out of touch. We want to kind of find that middle that we can live yeah. in. And that takes work, but it can feel really good once you're there. Yeah. Is there anything else before we just talk a little bit about you know how people can reach out and work with you um, that you wanna highlight in this conversation? I just wanna
1: highlight that recovery looks different for everyone. So that if you see someone's recovery journey online, like that can be an inspiration and that's amazing. But also knowing that like you might've gotten to your place of an eating disorder or disordered eating a little bit differently and getting out of it might look a little differently too.
0: I love that. I think especially now with how much access we have to Mm -hmm. getting our eyes on everybody else's experience and remember too, right? It's like an experience that they're curating and only showing us certain Mm -hmm. parts of. I think it is so much easier to compare where we're at or how we got there, how long things are taking, but yeah not not always truthful or helpful, right <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. okay, so tell our listeners just a little bit about where they can find you in your practice and if y'all are taking clients right now, all that good stuff.
1: Yes, so we are on Instagram. you can find us at confidently underscore nourished and then our website is confidentlynourished.co. I always want to say .com, but it's .com. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> and we have right now, I have four other dietitians that are currently accepting clients. We're also getting in network with insurance companies. So that might be something in the future. If that is a way that gets
0: like you access, then that might be something to look into. Very cool. We'll link up your website and Instagram and all that stuff too, because you did a great job of articulating it. But also I know how easy it is for people to make a typo. I do it all the time. Uh, yeah. when, when you are searching that person you're listening to. So we'll link all that stuff up. That way people can connect with you, learn from you, maybe reach out if they need some support. But yeah, thank you so much for making the time today and sharing all of your really great insight. I know recovery can be a tough one. So hopefully our listeners took little nuggets from this.
1: I hope so. it was helpful too. Thank yes. you so much for having me.
0: Of course.